Interact helps Canadians access their funds their way. Products like Interact Debit and Interact eTransfer have made money mobile, taking it from the confines of traditional banking and ushering it into the digital age. As consumers adapt to new technology, so does Interact. Learn more at newsroom.interact.ca. Hey everyone, it's Thursday, May 30th. I've got Shannon Proudfoot of McLean's and David Reevely of the Canadian Press here with me in our Ottawa studio. Hi to you both. It's been a few, uh, about a week. Yeah, it's yeah, been a two while. Weeks, I guess. It's two, two weeks, weeks, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's right. It's been two weeks. Um, we're recording this on a day earlier for a variety of reasons, one of which being that we are, um, tomorrow will be a busy day here as we welcome the former U.S. President Barack Obama to Ottawa. Um and that sort of is interesting. And I'm sure it'll be a busy day for you guys today with the vice president um, arriving in what? In, in, at this point, in about 45 minutes. 45 so. minutes. So yeah. let's speed it up here. Come on, Sarah. Okay. So uh, first up. It's this, not like we have to run out and like, yeah. flag down his car. I don't personally have to. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, Mike Pence is in Ottawa running around like a crazy person for right. about six hours. And then ba-ding, he's off to Washington again by the end of the, uh, the end day. Whenever I see their itineraries, I feel exhausted vicariously. Like, <laughs> oh, I know. Oh, my God. I know. I don't know how they do it. I don't know how they do it. But I, I do know how they do it. But is he, so it's expected, let's just really, really briefly, it's expected that, that the USMCA will be ratified potentially uh, with his arrival here. Well, the legislation was introduced in Parliament yesterday. There's a process to be gone through. Clock is ticking in Canada um, because Parliament's going to rise. In this, The bigger challenge is actually in the states. I mean, right. If, if the liberals right. here want to pass the legislation to actually put the thing into effect, then they have a majority government. They, there's some procedural stuff, but they have the power to do it. In the states, USMCA has to get through an unfriendly uh, House of Representatives, mm, which is run yeah. by the Democrats and is not necessarily eager to give the Republican president and vice president a win. But I think the idea is that Pence will come and this will be seen talking about it yeah. with Trudeau and that'll that'll give the whole effort a bit of a push. Maybe that's why I've seen men walking around with little buds around around their neck. Anyway, uh, let's get to it. So first up this week, an international grand committee on big data, privacy, and democracy assembled on Parliament Hill with parliamentarians from 12 different countries weighing in on the ongoing battle against the spread of misinformation online, you know, digital security, the collection and use of personal data. Some of those parliamentarians, like Damien Collins, the chair of the uh, Digital Culture, Media, and Sport Committee in the UK, has been involved for some time in the Canadian Ethics Committee Committee's investigation of the global privacy breach involving Facebook, Cambridge Analytica, and Aggregate IQ. Uh, many witnesses were there to provide insight and context, while others were just straight up grilled. Um, some of the big headliners, Jim Balsilli, the former exec of uh, RIM, Roger McNamee, venture capitalist and former mentor of Facebook's Mark Zuckerberg, uh, Marissa Ressa, sorry, Maria Ressa, a chief executive officer at Rappel, and Kevin Chan, who's the head of uh, public policy for Facebook Canada. Now, interestingly, we've got to say it, Facebook executives, the, the, the Cheryl Sandberg and Mark Zuckerberg ignored their summons to appear before the committee, so their name cards were just sitting there as the two other Facebook execs were I I really appreciate a good symbolic gesture and dutifully uh, when the the hearing started on Tuesday all the the photographers 
of course, clustered around furiously clicking away the the empty chairs in front of the nameplates. Like I, I gotta yeah. say, I, I like a good symbolic gesture like that. <laughs> Although notably, there was a later session where the the different delegates made reference to the fact that they had wanted Tim Cook there or hmm. uh, Jeff Bezos, but they did not see fit to leave empty chairs with very pointed <laughs> yes. nameplates for them. It was it was sort of pretty obvious that Facebook was kind of considered the the bet noir of this, right. this whole proceeding. That's what I'm gathering, right? So. Um, what ha- I was wondering, sort of, so they, they issue the first summons, right? Um, what happens after that? They don't show up. Is there a, a can they call a second? So they've they've now issued sort of a standing summons where I talked to Bob Zimmer about this, the the chair of the committee, um, where he said, like, you know, he's being realistic. It's not like they have bailiffs at every airport waiting for them. But the idea is if they are known to be traveling to Canada, they would send a bailiff to serve them with this summons. If they then ignored it again, um, they, they there could be a vote to hold them in contempt of parliament, which I, I think is basically a symbolic gesture. I don't know what actual action comes out of that, but it's meant to be a pretty bald symbolic gesture of, like, you have refused the summons of a government of 36 million people. They're sort of, they're, right. I guess, I think they're trying to force Facebook's hand to really thumb their nose just so that they can they can point to that, that right. kind of as a... And as, I mean, I was listening to The Current uh, this week with Anna Maria, and uh, she was interviewing Kevin, and... Um, she was saying sort of like, is it a bit of a slap in the face then that they didn't come to Canada, but, you know, they, they've gone to other legislators like in the U.S. and whatnot. And I mean, I don't know. It is it is interesting, their absence. Um, Zuckerberg didn't show up at the same body when it met in the U.K. Mm-hmm. And he, right. was, he was asked to appear there and did not. Yeah. Um, so they're, for whatever reason, he is choosing not to make these appearances. He did appear before the U.S. Congress. The U.S. Congress has right. more practical power over him, I think. If you're yes. the head of Facebook and you ignore a congressional subpoena then in, your, you, yeah. in the country in which you live, then more more plausible, more heavyweight consequences. So the, the thing came up again and again in the, in the hearing or the meeting, um, and the explanation from the Facebook people who were there was, we are the subject matter experts, sort of like mm. they, they weren't they weren't ignoring your invitation. They sent us because they thought we could do a better job, which was sort of an awkward fit with the fact that repeatedly they were asked questions that they could not answer or right. deflected. And and obviously there was some grandstanding on the part of the delegates who wanted to make the point again and again and again, you weren't the two we wanted here. The two we wanted here would have been able to answer these questions. Right. So there was sort of some yeah. tension in the messaging there. Now, um, Facebook was, was specifically under fire for during the meeting at one point for not removing sort of like doctored videos of Democratic House Speaker Nancy Pelosi this week that were, um, I watched them, they were slowed down, uh, made her peer sort of intoxicated or somewhat inebriated in some way. And they kind of kept firing back like, so those are still up there, right? Like, why haven't those been taken down? And I think he he sort of was Kevin Chan was sort of differentiating you know if that there are different regulations and policies around like ads versus content it it, it was just sort of a and, a gray and also area he sort of pivoted to the things he wanted to talk about which was they appear to have so far put more emphasis on ferreting out um, fake accounts as opposed to fake content. Right. And they were grilled again and again, I, I thought quite effectively, particularly by, I think it was Damian Collins, the, the UK MP, mm. about like, so are you telling me that you would crack down faster on a fake account spreading true information than a legit account spreading 
crap? Um, and the answer appeared to be an implicit yes, because they wouldn't answer the question. And and that's sort of really getting to the heart of what this grand committee was trying to get at, which is the corrosive effects on democracy and on people's thinking. Yeah. Um, and but it, there was it was kind of interesting to me because on, it, several times Kevin Chan, some of this was in service of their them saying we want to work with you guys. We're not here to obfuscate. We want to work with you. But several times he said Facebook would welcome basically governments telling us where to draw the line, which yeah. is was an interesting thing I to me. I still haven't quite made sense of it. I actually asked about it at the closing press conference from the delegates and didn't really get a great answer. Like. That's not what I would have expected to hear from Facebook, no. given the intense reluctance we've seen from them to actually change their ways. But but it was said more than once, so it wasn't sort of an accident that he seemed to be saying, we want you yeah. to draw the line for us and we will then enforce it. Yeah, it's, I mean, in a way, it's a cop-out. Sure. In another way, it's asking for direction from the authorities. I mean, should Facebook, should any private company, and Facebook is huge and arguably in a different class, but should any private company be forced to regulate speech that politicians don't like, and other, you know, on behalf of lots of other people, when the politicians, when it's legal, when the politicians won't mm -hmm. pass a law. That's true. I mean, if the speech is legal, it's legal. And then it leads, sorry to interrupt, but it, it leads to other, like their competitors... Choosing, yeah. like Twitter, right. for example, choosing to say, oh, we're not going to do that. We're not really getting under fire for that. So you guys go ahead. But so it kind of creates this like patchwork of different and companies. We've seen, we've seen companies like Facebook, they'll honor laws in one place that are different from laws in another place. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there, there's a, a whole little micro industry in removing uh, Nazi symbols mm. from products that appear in Germany, like his, you know, historical war games and, and that sort of thing, things that are illegal to put up in Germany that are not illegal to have in certain mm. contexts in, in other places. They can act differently in different places if the law is clear on what they ought to do. And people are free to say crap. Like, I know. This is crazy. the the the. Yeah. I was walking here. I saw a couple of guys in yellow vests with protest signs just on Spark Street, like mm. half a block away. I only saw them from a distance, but one of them, you know, had no M one hundred three, which is a reference to a, an anti Islamophobia bill mm. and or not a bill, a motion, and uh, no to carbon tax and like you can disagree with them. Yeah, yeah. The, well, what it's they part was, of the discussion for sure. What they were zeroing in on to some degree in the committee. And it was sort of really interesting to see these MPs from various countries kind of mm. grappling with these issues. And I know kind of the obvious narrative would be, ha, 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 listen to these old people who don't know about the tech. Except I actually thought the questions were fairly sophisticated and they kind of built and you could kind of see them trying to find different doors into mm -hmm. the issue. They're good and that, one yeah. of the big things they said um, that seems persuasive to me is that we're not attacking the tech or free speech. We're attacking the business model and the algorithms because, yeah. and the problem is though, those are black boxes. Like they're saying to, to Facebook or Twitter or whatever, um, okay, you know, you have safe harbor defense for having this information. You're not held responsible for the information on your platform. However, if your algorithms are promoting it and surfacing it and pushing yeah. it into more people's feeds, that's your responsibility. And that's where you had a lot of talk from people like Roger McNamee right. about this is, and, and also Jim Balsillie, fascinating stuff yes. about how like the business model here, like the, the thing that's being sold is attention and behavior modification. And so that kind of seemed to be where they, once the kind of broad, huge, 
huge range of questions in the committee, in the grand committee, kind of found a point. Mm -hmm. That was it. It was like, we are battling for people's hearts and minds here. And these algorithms are black boxes that, you know, what, what, what keeps you coming back? What keeps you staring? Anger and fear. And so the suggestion is that, that it is the most inflammatory content that is promoted. And right. that is the responsibility of the, the, the companies, but it's, it's so subtle that, and tricky and it's yeah. all brand new. Like there's yeah. not, like Jim Balsillie said, um, this stuff isn't the new oil, it's the new plutonium. Like we are dealing with a categorically right. and behaviorally new thing that is unlike anything else. Right. And so what do you do with that? And, yeah. and to elaborate on on the challenges here, I mean, this Pelosi video, people saw it because President Donald Trump I tweeted, tweeted it. it. Oh. And it's it's yeah. doctored to make the Speaker of the House of Representatives look impaired yes, somehow. Yes, totally. Um, and and he, he is making the case, posting the video, which is invented, at, well, doctored, as evidence that she's unfit for office, essentially, and right. should not be taken seriously. Like, this is, a, this is a new kind of behavior from the top politician in the world that our system of liberty and democracy and free speech and letting private oh, companies man. do their thing is not really designed to handle. Right. And I think what we're seeing is the system trying to figure out what to do. And yeah. there are no obvious answers. And it's really and hard. There's human nature on top yeah. of that, too. Because I feel like if you took however many followers Donald Trump has, yes. and you could show each of them a forensic breakdown of what was done to the video, like a lot of them would go, I don't care. Like either, right. either sure, of course you would say that. Or doesn't matter. The underlying truth is mm -hmm. still She's that still the Democrats yeah. are the devil, right. and right. we got to get them out of there. Like, right. like there's also like, like, and can you even fact check or rationalize your way out of what makes people want to believe these things in the first place, and or even enjoy them knowing that they're not true? And I think I that's think so. that's a, yeah. an idea that I ran across, for, and it seems very obvious now. But that people people like reading stuff even if they know it's false. Or mostly false. Or they would it, say, how do you prove that? It reinforces their priors and, yeah. and fires them up. Yeah. And it's and hard people to, like feeling fired up. It's hard to police intent, you know? Like, um, that's going to be a huge... There was no... What Chan's point was, there's no really, like, context to that post. So, okay, well then, it's pretty clear to us and to people who might understand this kind of thing that that was doctored, but... Not everyone would know and not everyone would care. Um, but uh, so... It was a particularly hot button issue on given that on Monday, just hours before this committee started, Facebook and other tech giants like Google and Microsoft and whatever signed on to um, a Canadian declaration on electoral integrity, it's called, online, um, to try to protect the integrity of our election this fall. And one of those guidelines was aimed at identifying and removing fake content and accounts. Twitter did not um, join. Um, so again, it's just, that's just that. So some do, some mm -hmm. don't. And anyway, it's a bit, um, I think what's noteworthy too anymore. is yeah. the shift in tone. Like how long ago was it that Karina Gould first, the democratic institutions minister first spoke about what became C76, right? And remember yeah. the very first line, I think we even might've talked about it here, or maybe we weren't going that, that far back was, we expect them to comply because the original criticism was, well, there's no teeth here. Like, how are you going to make yeah. them do any of this? And the original line, I think this was like a year ago, was we expect them to do the right thing. When you think about how far the tone and the expectations have shifted since then to, of course, they're not going to do the right thing. We're going to have to make them. Like, there has been a massive sea change in the view of this, like both the urgency of the issue and the perceived willingness of the companies to actually act on things that are talked about. Yeah, and I think we're we're starting to view these companies not like we we, uh, we used to view 
people, a Facebook as a platform for grassroots company, uh, people who don't have normally have a voice on tr- in traditional media to go onto these these platforms and like have a voice. And it was kind of this positive grassroots thing, right? And now it's like, no, these are like the these sometimes are like there's the a black. reason these people didn't have right. a voice in right. the public yes. square. Before. And these are the yes. elite. These are the power dominant. Yeah. yeah. Um, and right. And they're but now they do. Too like now they have yeah. a superpower yeah. megaphone and. I've come to think of it like I worry about like sort of the swing voter version of people listening. Like like I worry about almost like a low-grade radicalizing effect. You mm-hmm. know, we all have people in our in our feeds. Like you can see the people who are already married to a hardcore partisan or extreme view in right. some way. But there's a lot of mushy middle there. People who are, you know, they don't consume the news obsessively like we do. And if something is served up in their feed that looks good, which usually means inflammatory – off they go. And and I think that's where the real effect of this is. And yeah, I, I agree. It just feels daunting. From a, a Canadian perspective, and we again, we have an election in, what, four, four and a half months or something like that, crazy. Um, political parties remain outside of PIPITA. Um, Protection right. data legislation. Um, so meaning they, you know, they aren't held to the same privacy standards as uh, private corporations. Um, Bell Silly mentioned this again, uh, you know, saying that that's sort of like the, the key to this, that they need to be included in that. Um, and he said sort of like a guarantee that our election is going to be you know, interfered with in some way or another. Um, so it doesn't necessarily feel like, again, I thought we were going to see more progress in this, in the lead up to the election, I mean, a Canadian declaration, I don't know if that goes far enough. Again, it, it relies on the companies to abide by the rules versus setting the rules for them. Um, From the Grand Committee, it looked like the way, it sounded like the way they seem to think is the way into this, the, the legislators, is through the money end of things, through the company end of things. There was lots of talk about antitrust um, cases or legislation there was lots of talk about the business model. Like they seem to feel that the, and you had McNamee advocating just shut them all down temporarily, which I mean, it seems a bit far-fetched, but it's an interesting concept. Um, So they seem to think that sort of going in through the door of like monetary or corporate legislation in some way is the way to put the brakes on this, or at least put the fear of God into these companies. So they'll listen because the issue now with that, you can see them grappling with over and over is we have no leverage. Like what leverage do we have? Why do they have to be afraid of us? Like they're not, and they're not here. So what do we got? And we can't even make them show up. (laughs) No, but it's almost like a chicken and the egg thing. Like, okay, so parliamentarians are saying, um, okay, you guys regulate yourselves and they're saying you regulate us and the parliamentarians are using their services to then, I don't know, it gets very complicated in terms of who owns what. Like political parties benefit greatly from the loose standards that are around these. It's a snake eating its own tail. Yeah, companies. Yeah. And they're, well, and it's in their interests to be able exactly. to be loose with this stuff. Right. But they're, I also, I think there is a very real danger of fighting the last war every time. Yeah. That, I mean, it's a known problem for militaries. Like last time things went badly, next time we're going to be ready for it. But the next war is always different. Yeah. And we're, we've got a fairly clear idea, I think, of what happened in the States in 2016. But what happened in the States in 2016 is not what's going to happen in Canada in 2019. Right. It's not what's going to happen in the States in 2020. Right. Um, so being ready to make sure that the thing that happened last time never happens again is probably not going to be enough. Right. The system has to there, there are a couple of things. The regulations have to be, they have to move faster, but also I think we have to work on the demand side. Yeah. And that is a much bigger 
<laughs> more slippery problem. Oh, I man. so despair of that. I was at a public policy forum workshop last week on this exact thing, digital democracy and disinformation, and they were walking us through very practical stuff about how to how to fact check videos or, or still photos and figure out where they came from. And then, and so we walked through all this. It was very fascinating. But then I asked, but what if the audience doesn't care? Like, what if they don't mm-hmm. want us to mm-hmm. fact check and nothing we could show them? We can keep all the receipts mm-hmm. we have is going to sway them. And and to David's point on the demand side, that's where honestly I, re- I really mm-hmm. despair. Because too, like with every month that goes by, as things get more and more toxic and entrenched and tribal, and it's the kind of Michael Lewis idea of nobody trusts the refs anymore. This is what yes. he's on about right now with his podcast, which is, it feels so true. So if nobody trusts the refs, I'm not saying we refs should stop trying, but like to what end? Like to it feels like end, there's right. a certain slice of people who are still interested but there's a certain slice that are not and I, yeah. I just don't know it's depressing it's depressing a little bit we could go on all day honestly about it um, let's not let's not we're, <laughs> but we're gonna go into something yeah. far more interesting going independent so the two former uh, liberal cabinet ministers at the heart of the SNC-Lavalin controversy Jody Wilson-Raybould and Jane Philpott formally announced this week they would run in the fall election as independents this after both women resigned from cabinet and were then ousted from caucus as a result of the uh, ongoing SNC affair Wilson-Raybould was, was first up in her press conference with uh, Philpott closely behind, both in their respective writings. Um, I want to get your feedback first on how this was announced and what you thought it could be. Like wh- there was um, a press release, I think, sent out last Friday evening, right, saying that this was going to be happening on Monday. Two of them in quick succession, yeah. right? And so we all, you know, okay, clearly both coordinated. Co- clearly coordinated. Um, a lot of people thought they'd maybe go to the Greens. Did you guys think what was what was your initial thoughts when you got that? My <laughs> first thought was they're going to the Greens. Yeah, um, it seems like a fairly natural fit. They've certainly been circling Elizabeth May, and Elizabeth May has been circling them. And in fact, uh, you know, after they announced that they were going to run as independents. Elizabeth May said, I talked to them. I, I And it, it separately, she offered to give up the leadership of the Green Party if Jody Wilson-Raybould wanted it. Like, she yeah, obviously tried bizarre. pretty hard to get them in. Well, uh, I mean, But, yeah. of course, you know, I, there were also some markers that that wasn't it. The fact that they were making the announcement separately in their writings. They, were, they had each had their own kind yeah, of PR right. contacts, and they were different. Like, there were, there were enough dissimilarities to suggest that they were doing different things. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, but I thought it was weird. I, was, I did think it was a bit weird that <laughs> Elizabeth May was like, yeah, I mean, hey, I would consider giving the leadership over to. I mean, that was pretty Yeah, that was startling. An, an interesting admission after the fact. It's so, uh, a mercenary seems like an odd word to apply to Elizabeth <laughs> May, but it seems so mercenary, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think she clarified it after, like, I think the headline that went out right. was like, she was going to just pass the crown. I think she clarified she meant after the next election, but, but yeah, right. it's not Still. as simple as that either. There's got to be sure, a race. Sure, it's not sure. hers to give. But. Sure. Yeah. Right. It's <laughs> yeah. not, it's not a crown. You just pass down the line. I, I like David, like to me, just sort of the most logical yeah. things seem to be the greens. And there were so many signals. Um, I, I thought that the sort of staginess of the coordinated announcements perhaps undercut them a bit. It's like if you have a camp of people who are inclined to see them as power-hungry machinators in some way, that maybe didn't help. Because the idea is if they are going independent now, it's known that they were close friends and certainly the the circumstances of their departures from cabinet tracked, like, you know, the narrative. Um, It it was sort of an odd thing to have them coordinated back-to-back. I think that gave more fodder to the idea that 
they are somehow playing games here, if you are already inclined to think that. It, um, I'm not saying that's what it is. I'm just saying, like, optically, it was it was a bit of a, I thought, a bit of a clumsy choice. Yeah. Um, what stood out for me, honestly, was just because this tends to be what interests me, I'm always really interested in in the psychology of yeah. people in the presentation, is Jane Philpott looked authentically buoyant to me. Sounded like yeah. like legitimate, like Excited. whatever you want to say, and we will yeah. talk about the long odds they face. They are <laughs> yeah. not good, particularly her, frankly, right. in her riding. She sounded to me genuinely like excited and confident and bouncy about this, which I found interesting. Like, yeah. as, frankly, especially if her odds are long. Um, whatever happened to get them to this point... Um, she sounded pretty stoked to have arrived at it, even if there were a lot of, you know, politically disadvantageous things that led to this and her political career looks very different now than it did six months ago. Yeah. And contra, so yeah, it was interesting. And Paul Wells, your colleague wrote this, like it was the first time she actually started to like sound like a politician, which some people might not right. actually like. Right. For sure. Um, but, uh, but and it's a lot, I should ask, it's a lot harder. I, Jody Wilson-Raybould is just a harder person to read. She's not yes, so much right. of a, like a heart on her sleeve kind of politician. So it's, it's a little harder to parse where she was because she has right. a much more deliberative way of speaking. But um, yeah, Jane Philpott's manner just kind of jumped out at me. And even the symbolism, I'm, I'm kind of interested in that too. Like the, they both were white. The white suffragettes. Yeah, like, I mean, yeah. that was kind of interesting too. And there are a lot of um, their if we talk about sort of the content of their speeches, a lot of it was about sort of um, kicking it to the the power. Like, um, you know, one of the mantras that they both originally ran on as, as liberals, you know, um, uh, doing politics differently is sort of something they both leaned on and, and pushed in these speeches, right? Like, we're going to do it differently. We're going to listen to all parties. We're gonna... It makes me think of that Twitter meme, like 2015, Jody Wilson-Raybould yeah. and Jane Philpott doing <laughs> politics differently. 2019, <laughs> hold my beer. <laughs> Right. <laughs> Doing politics really differently. Really, different. really differently. And like and then they both had this um almost like it felt like an enlightenment of like, you know, hey, we can appreciate elements of all parties and also dislike elements of all parties and stand as as appreciate each other and stand as independents and encouraging others to become sort of independent partisans, which I don't know that that it seems. Well, so they it seemed to me like they were trying to place their own independent runs at the forefront of sort of a broader movement. They were saying what we've heard from people is that there's too much of this partisanship kind of team blood sport mentality, which mm. certainly mm. is a lot of the public reaction that came yes. out of SNC because of the particular contours of that, you know, sort of party above all. But they were trying to, I thought, trying to sort of place their own independent candidacy in the broader context of like, let's all do this differently. When you have to imagine that most other people in parliament they like their cozy yeah. place on the team bench. Like there are certainly strictures that come with that, undoubtedly. There are a lot of perks too, which is exactly why it makes it such a difficult thing to run as an independent, right? You don't have access to the, even right. like, even kind of minute details. Like they can take donations, but they can't issue receipts until the writ drops. They don't have like the whole party machine. Right. It's like, you know, buying your paper towels at Costco versus buying them piecemeal at the corner store. Like they don't have the bulk um, kind of machinery of a party behind them. They compare they sort yeah. of seem to be like Paul did this great thing in his column where he talked about like Jerry Maguire and the scene where good. he quits and then tries to bring people <laughs> yeah. with them. And so they're sort of at the doorway of the office like, going, come on, guys, let's go. With the goldfish no, in I hand. Think, yeah. I think we're good. Yeah. yeah. We're going to uh, stay here. <laughs> I think I like my cozy communications yeah. director who's telling me what to do. But yeah, it's true. Like their campaigning process is going to be a lot different. They're going to have to raise their money on their own. I think Philpott kind of alluded to that in her speech. Like, okay, guys, like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be counting on you too. Like this is going to be all of us in it together. Again, so let's talk about a little bit like the success 
of their future as independents. Um, I mean, again, Jody Wilson-Raybould, I think, might be in a better standing just given how far her level of success last election around. And, and in Markham Stouffville for, for, um, uh, for Jane Philpott, the chances are much less likely. Independents oh. have a tough time. Right. Uh, they have the advantage of incumbency, which, uh, well, actually people who end up running as independents, I guess there are a whole lot of independents who've never heard of who get like 350 votes and disappear. People who that's are true. sitting in We're sort of only thinking of independents who were once on the team bench and yeah. jumped off. Like that's how we're framing it. But you're right. There's a billion of them who are just, just whoever's. Yeah. Um, that's right. And, and who have no idea how to run a campaign, who are not really serious politicians. These two are serious politicians. Oh, they have run and won before. Yeah. So they, they had parties behind them previously, but they've done the work. They've mm. knocked on doors. They are known in their communities. Okay. They've right. raised money. They know they're well briefed. Like they're not doing this in mm. their spare time. They are sitting MPs and, mm. and, and have cabinet experience. So they do bring more to the table than your average independent candidate. And I think unusually for independents who used to be in party caucuses, there will be, there are large numbers of voters who see them as heroes. They actually have something to run on. They're right. not running as independents because they were kicked out for, you know, groping people or stealing money or, you know, having secret Nazi pasts. They're, they, they quit cabinet and were ejected in a, over a matter of principle. And you can right. see them as the, 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 as being on the side of the angels or the side side of the devils in this, but they there will be people who see them on the side of the angels. You're my MP. Yeah, you went to Ottawa. You did the right thing, and I'm going to back you. So I think yeah. they do have some significant built-in advantages, but they don't have the party machinery. They don't have the fundraising capacity. They don't have the the brand, and and they got vote splits. And they've got vote splits. People who voted liberal voted from last time because they were liberals. Who will vote for the liberal this time instead of them? Right. And is that why like you're just adding? You're cutting the pie into one more piece in yeah. each of those ridings, right? And so so that everyone's everyone, piece it, gets smaller, however it gets distributed. Is that that's why everyone's saying like, oh, are you helping the conservatives win, right. win the next race or something? Which and there is, was sort of an interesting tension in those speeches, and then um, the subsequent. I heard like a CBC interview with Jody Wilson-Raybould where they talked a lot about independence, and you know, now we can work with whoever. But there's clearly still limits to that because she was asked repeatedly, like, do you want the Liberals to win? Or do you worry that you have now sort of kneecapped them? She sort of demurred on both of those points. But um, but, but there's also, like, they've also both said that they are unabashed progressives and the specific issues they've talked about, like, say, climate change and the environment would suggest that they would not play well with the Tories. Right. So for all the talk about this independent spirit of we can work with anyone and kind of cobbling together sort of an individual coalition collection of issues, um, even as they were talking about that, they were still sort of acknowledging the partisan nature of like Westminster politics, right? Yeah. Like it, there was yeah. sort of this internal tension, even in what they were saying, it was sort of like, okay, but we still, we still live in the world we live in. Like mm -hmm. you can be as mavericky as you want, and, but this, the playing field it, still is what it is. And if you win, you're still going to be sitting in that back corner with, Oh, right. With Elizabeth know, May. With and Elizabeth and May and Mia. Maybe she gets a few more Selena. MPs, but yeah. yeah, like even if you win, you're going to be in that back corner. You might, you're, you're not going to get good committee assignments, if any. You do not have an automatic right to ask questions. Like hmm. asking people to elect someone with that. That's There's interesting. serious yeah. structural limitations. Yeah. 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 Also to that, you were voted in 
with a party. Um, so everything you're saying now, does that mean you didn't believe that stuff then or you can, well, you can grow, you learn. Yeah. And actually, I mean, one thing that I, I think is important to say, my, my colleague, Christy Kirkup had a sit down interview with Jody Wilson-Raybould yesterday. And I mean, uh, one of the things she talked about, and there's been a recurring theme in all this is she didn't have an end game when all this started. This is not, she says, right. all in service of some long game that she's playing and which and, there is a slice of the public you'll never convince them that's oh, true right? absolutely there is yes but you know liz may talked about uh asking them to join the greens and and people saying oh well, did you try this did you do that and she's like it's it's hard for me to express how little this was a negotiation we right, talked and right. it didn't come to be yeah jane philpott and jody wilson raybould i mean wilson raybould insists that she's not the one who gave or authorized that initial leak that set all this off yeah. about the pressure on SNC Lavalin. I I think it does fit the known facts that this was a whole bunch of people who were just kind of stumbling along trying to do the right thing. Yeah. As they saw it at the time. And I think there's something really refreshing and I don't about that idea and I don't think we should just reject it out of hand. Can I just ask if they hadn't held this press conference? Like did they have to hold a press conference to say we're going to run as independents? Or could they no, just... No, should be a fool not to. Uh, yeah, okay. I mean, <laughs> That's a good answer. You, you to get, get some, the media and whatever. Yeah, get okay, some attention. Okay. They need and, and all also, the attention they can get. And also, like, less cynically, they are figures of great interest, and the question of what they're going to do next was a legitimate news question, okay. right? So it yeah. wasn't entirely, like, this greasy, self-serving thing. People wanted to know. They're right? MPs. So, yeah. They're MPs. They right. have plans. And, and they, they're running for office. Right. I mean, people and, have campaign lodges. People right. do that. And they represent constituents. Yeah. Okay, got it. All right, moving on. Federal conservative leader Andrew Scheer made a speech on Tuesday night outlining his party's vision on immigration. Of the few key pillars in that speech, Scheer said he would put an end to illegal border crossings at unofficial points of entry. He said the loophole right now allows migrants to, quote, uh, skip the line and avoid the queue. However, he didn't come out in full force against immigration. Um I thought, you know, despite polls that, that show conservative sports are, are sort of less likely to be in favor of Canada's more open-door policies, he stated there is, quote, no room in a peaceful and free country like Canada for intolerance, racism, or extremism of any kind. He did reinforce, though, that Trudeau has sort of muddied the system and put those who are, are playing by the rules at a disadvantage, um, sort of indicating there's a lack of leadership there, maybe. So it, it seems like he was uh, playing to both sides, sort of straddling two different ideologies almost like trying to play nice to the more moderates but also saying yeah we're going to tighten things up a little which I guess risks I being it, in the middle <laughs> I thought it was a really effective speech in a couple of ways and less so in another way I thought it was a pretty ineffective or mushy as a policy speech there were no details there right like I, I kind of came to think of it in my head as his Goldilocks speech <laughs> not too much not too little yeah. just right, right but damn it I'm not going to put a number on that just right it's going to be based on the needs of the country um I thought the speech was pretty obviously tailored to rebut all the stuff going around about the Tories and Andrew Shearer are cozy with the extreme right wing, right. you know, the whole appeared on the same stage as Faith Goldie, which has been, you know, yes. factually debunked, that kind of stuff. But just the idea that they've been playing footsie or at mm -hmm. least disinclined to disavow a particular element, which we've talked about here before with the Yellow Vest protest. So I thought the real point of the speech That's was true. to pretty mm -hmm. vociferously um, rebut that. I thought the most effective and most interesting line was 
like if you are here to say that some people are better than others based on, you know, skin color or orientation or whatever, there's the door. You're not welcome. I thought that is the line they can point back to and to keep repeating as a pretty good defense against the liberal line that is increasingly look at these guys in bed with these the nasty elements. And right. I think Ahmed Hussein, the yeah. immigration minister, even like before Sheer took the stage, put out a statement saying, so that's starting to look a bit goofy, right? He hadn't even opened his mouth yet. Right. And they put out a statement saying, look, he's he's in cahoots with this extreme right-wing element. I also thought it was a really deft speech in the way it kind of located or dismantled the liberal criticism of anyone who's has some things to say, has some critical thoughts about Canada's immigration system as you can't just dismiss those people as racists and bigots. Right. Um, certainly some of the people who are kind of dog whistling on those issues, absolutely 100%. But I think you can absolutely make an argument that there are people who have legitimate and completely um, fair criticisms or questions who are not bigots. And the liberal line has been to really shove them all in that basket. And so I thought the speech, his speech was quite deft and effective yeah. at kind of like stomping out those two, those two lines from, from the liberals or sort of kind of building a bulwark and saying like, that is not what my party is here for. You are not one of us if that's who you hmm. are. That is true. I wonder if that'll be successful, though. If it would have been more—that's another question. If it would have been more successful to be to be targeting those people who are, or if it would have been more successful four months ago, before yeah. you kind of let this right. stuff play out on the that's margins. True. Like that's my question. It's a little day late and a dollar short. We're not into the rip period yet, but there's been several months of this stuff kind of being around the edges. It's gone um, on for a long, a long time, time a long time. And you, so then you kind of wonder: was the motivation behind the scenes like a? we got to say something to get this narrative to stop or an authentic, mm. we have to say this. Like it, like it leaves open the door for very cynical kind of politicking interpretations yeah. of it. But it, like in the Harper days, I was thinking, I was talking to a colleague about this. Immigration was was high actually. And even though it's sort of, t you'd think that immigration is sort of like an anti-conservative thing, but, um, with a, but with a focus more on like economic pairing, right? Like to jobs and, and whatnot. But um, so it feels like maybe, maybe Sheer is going back to that well, he did say that, right? He said he would emphasize economic um, category right. as opposed to uh, – well, he sort of said two things, like emphasize refugees who are legitimately persecuted in some way. He didn't say how he would define that or whether he feels some people – I get presumably the border crossers he feels don't really fall into that category right now. He'd specify, just as a footnote, uh, focus on people who are victims of atrocities, like right. people who we right, right. think of – your first thought is someone who is fleeing, you know, people with guns and machetes and and that sort of thing, which is kind of the traditional definition of a refugee. And mm -hmm. um, a footnote. Back to you. And <laughs> <laughs> a footnote. Back to big type in the main part. Um, no, that that's a, an excellent point. And so he said he would emphasize economic class. Uh, immigrants. And then he also said in terms of refugees that he wanted to shift the focus a bit more to privately sponsored and away mm. from government sponsored, <laughs> which is sort of interesting in two ways. Like number one, it's less costly to the government because you have private church groups and whatnot, um, raising money mm. and bringing people mm -hmm. over and providing them with connections. But it also tends to be more effective. Yeah. Like we now know from StatsCan mm. data that of the waves of Syrian refugees who came since the 2015 election, the ones who came with private sponsorship have fared much better, at least in the short period of time they've been here. I read something that after about 10 years, it tends to even out. But that makes perfect sense, right? If you move to a new city right. where you have three really good friends who help you find an apartment, yes, find a so job, true. whatever, mm -hmm. yeah. you do better than if you move to a brand new place. Yeah. So th that was about as much specificity as I think we got from him in terms of quote unquote policy. Yeah. Um, 
with that, I was about to say last night because I actually watched the video in its entirety last night. Yeah. It did not take place last night. But it's true in like an emphasizing like, um, you know, skills training and language um, tests and stuff like that too. And there are, there are, there are also two different streams here. There are immigrants, people who apply to come to Canada and we can be kind of choosy about which ones we take. And then there are refugee claimants, people who one way or another have shown up in Canada saying, I'm fleeing for my life, please help me. And they're not handled by the exact same systems. And so it's, I think, dangerous to mix and match mm -hmm. these two and how the government deals with them is different. So yeah. mixing and matching is not not wise because basically you can't choose who applies to uh, for refugee status. Right. They're here. One way or another, they're here. Yeah. Immigrants, you can. And so how you approach them has to be different. Yes, right. So, so sheer sort of drip, drip, drip of policy indications has been somewhat slow, I guess, to get off the ground. I mean, as John Iveson pointed out this week in his column, despite the fact that we don't know a ton of what a conservative leadership would entail if the polls were correct right now, an election was held tomorrow. He would be leader. I mean, I think what what Sheer is trying to do is establish himself as prime ministerial. That he has big thoughts and he has a, a governing philosophy that will guide him, even if you know things happen as they inevitably do that are not addressed in the conservatives eventual platform mm -hmm. you know here is what kind of person i am here is where i come from here are my thoughts on big issues um and those are things that you know you would want a national leader to to have yeah he's campaigning to be your prime minister, not leader right. of the opposition. Right. And so he's got to, after he's been attacking the prime minister in, in the House of Commons, as is his job, but now he's got to sh shift his look a little bit. And I think this is part of that process. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, that is all for us today. Uh, can I get your Twitter handles, please? I am at David Reevely. And I am at S Proudfoot. And I am at Turnbull Sarah. We'll see you next time. Fast, safe, and reliable. Interact eTransfer is one of the best ways to send, request, and receive money. In fact, Canadians use the service to complete 371 million transactions in 2018. That's nearly 11 times the population of Canada. Learn more at newsroom.interact.ca.